Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. Scott Ritter returns to the show. Uh, as always, Scott, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. I want you to explain to our listeners the saga, the saga of, of Gonzalo Lira. As I understand it, he is an American citizen but may very well be an asset of the Ukrainian intelligence uh, forces, and the American government doesn't seem to give a damn about him. Can you straighten all this out for us? Well, Gonzalo Lira is a um, somebody who has a flamboyant past, which is really irrelevant to anything we're about to discuss. He uh, found himself in uh, in Ukraine, and uh, when the war started, uh, he um, he started posting. Um, you know, clips of him walking through Kharkov, discussing what he saw, discussing the war, opining on it. Uh, and he developed a very active following on YouTube, on uh, his Telegram channel, on Twitter. Um, and a lot of people, you know, followed him because of uh, you know, his critical voice about the um, about the Ukrainian government, about the, 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 you know, the Ukrainian posture in the war. He was arrested in April of 2022. Let me just stop you. Is he an American citizen? He he has a joint U.S.-Chilean uh, citizenship. He has passports from both uh, United States and uh, and Chile. Okay. Um, so who arrested him, and where, and when, and why? Well, he was he was arrested by the Ukrainian intelligence services, the SBU, which is uh, noted for its brutality. Um, the, they they maintain a, a hit list called the Mirtvoritz hit list. I'm on it. It's a death list. Um, the people that are on it are people who speak out critically of the Ukrainian government. Gazelle uh, Lear is on that list as well, uh, and yet he was arrested and um, he didn't die. Um, instead, he was released uh, about five days later. Uh, they seized his computers. They seized his telephone, but they allowed him to gain access. He was arrested under house arrest. That means for anybody who doesn't understand that that you're controlled when you're under house arrest you're not free to do what you want you're arrested on you're, you're released on conditions house arrest his conditions apparently allowed him to gain access to a new computer to start up new youtube channels and to begin doing the exact same thing he was doing prior to his rest in the intelligence business this is the biggest red flag you can possibly imagine and at that point in time I said, and I was straight up about it, that he's a controlled asset of the SBU, that nobody should trust this man. 
uh, because you can't be allowed to continue doing what you were doing that got you arrested. But now you're doing it under conditions where you're controlled by the SBU. It's clear. One plus one equals two. There's literally no question about this. So we have an, Amer we have an American uh, in Ukraine uh, expressing opinions against the Ukrainian government and against American involvement, much as you and I do from the comfort of our homes in America, although you, of course, have done this uh, all over the world, um, arrested by the uh, Ukrainian intelligence services, mysteriously released back to his own criticism, criticisms, original criticisms, but now as an asset for them. What does that mean as an asset for them? Is he going to begin to propagandize in favor of Ukraine? Is he going to show some, some dramatic 180 degree change of heart? Or is he surreptitiously gathering and feeding to them, SBU, intel that they, uh, that they desire? The role that's being played by Gonzalo Lira is um, <clears throat> to support Ukraine's ongoing uh, human intelligence collection in support of information warfare objectives. Uh, the, the YouTube channel that he, that he created after his release uh, is known as the Roundtable, and it's become a very popular forum in the alt alternative media world. People flock to the Roundtable to appear on the Roundtable, where Gonzalo Lira serves as sort of the orchestra, you know, the, the conductor of an orchestra leading questions. Now, um, what's, what's important here is what, what, uh, why he's doing it. Um, the British intelligence services are, have uh, had a, a document leaked that gives you insight into Edward Snowden leaked, that gives you insight into, you know, what kind of information they're looking for, why the data carries out. And a key aspect to the intelligence collection is, with, is behavioral science. Basically, how do humans behave? How do groups interact, et cetera? The roundtable is a petri dish of data collection uh, for assessing these groups, how to form these groups, who's in these groups, how they interact, what questions they ask, who believes what. And you start mapping out the entire universe of the alt-universe environment, and you're collecting data on belief systems, belief value, you know, and you build aliases that can be interjected in there and start participating in the conversation and then guiding the conversation. Gonzalo Lira's job isn't to speak in any way. His job is to do what he always did speak out against the Ukrainian government, but notice he doesn't bring original content. His job is to serve as an echo chamber of existing beliefs and then to attract audiences to collect so that the SBU and their British and American supporters collect this intelligence to build a giant behavioral psychology model. It's invaluable in the intelligence service. Okay. Mary Johnson, a colleague of mine who disagrees with my assessment on, uh, on Gonzalo Lira, knows that uh, intelligence service would pay hundreds of millions of dollars for that database, and Gonzalo's Lira is giving it to him for free. Okay. Should I uh, mock Ukraine's claim to a democracy because of what uh, their relationship is to Gonzalo, or should I recognize Ukraine is at war? From Ukraine's perspective, it's an existential war, uh, and during war, um, freedom is uh, diminished. Well, I mean, that, to answer that question, I would just say, um, would you allow Tokyo Rose to broadcast from San Francisco during World War II? <laughs> Pardoned by President Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, that's after the fact, and maybe Gonzalo Lira would get a pardon. Of course. But the point um, is, 
I wrote you know, a long I, piece about Tokyo Rose. There were actually seven of them, but I get your point. I get your point. Uh, I fully understand it. And the answer is no, no American government would allow Tokyo Rose uh, to taunt uh, American uh, soldiers uh, in fighting in the Far East. For but, the, but the other thing I'd, I'd like to bring into this is to point out the following, because Look, Gonzalo Lear is an American citizen, and you'd like to believe the American government, regardless ah, of the that, circumstances, okay, that, that's a point. would come in and, and, and support him. But here's the thing I want to point out. The American government funds the SBU. The SBU would not exist today without American money. We fund right. it. We organize it. We support it. They have a hit list, the Miratoritz hit list. It's an assassination list. I'm on it, as are many Americans. It's a hit list funded by the American Taxpayer. There is a center for the countering, uh, center for countering disinformation. Works for uh, the Ukrainian government. Works for the president. It is created, funded by the United States. They run a blacklist that they have. Seventy-eight Americans. There might be more now. I'm on that list. That blacklist is updated every week with updates. Who's the number one information terrorist in the world? My name tops that list repeatedly. Jeez, the so I guess government I'm funds that. I, so guess don't expect freedom, American government I guess to. judging freedom is not working hard enough. Am I on that list? <laughs> well, you, it, it, trust me, you keep bringing me on, you might be. But the point is, um, the American government's doing nothing about this. So okay. people are sitting there going, why is the American not only, government silent? Not only, are they, well, not only are they doing nothing, they're funding it. Bingo. So now you understand why they're not running, they're sending the cavalry out for Gonzalo Lira. Okay. Because they are happy with his silencing or with the situation he finds himself. They're not going to run to his defense. Speaking of uh, disinformation, we're switching gears now, and we'll get back to Ukraine because you had some very, very uh, interesting commentary on this since last we were on. The CCD, the Centers for uh, Disease Control, and information terrorism in America. What the hell is information terrorism? from the perspective of the deep state in Atlanta, the CCD? Well, apparently, um, if you voice an opinion that uh, counters their, their official narrative, um, you're an information terrorist. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here. Dissent has become terrorism. Dissent, what, what we normally expect in America, which is civil debate, discussion, and dialogue about difficult issues. That's how we improve ourselves as a democracy. We sit down, we have a free exchange of ideas. But when you have a narrative put out by the government or a government agency, that narrative can't be questioned. And if you question it, then you're not an American citizen doing what American citizens should do. You are the problem. And we tend to, you know, define the problem in terms that are that grossly exaggerate things, such as information terrorists. We need to understand that the United States government is waging information warfare against we, the people of the United States. Their job is to manipulate data, to uh, shape perceptions, to do anything other than to have a fact-based, honest discussion about difficult issues. Are we in danger of, uh, of the American government, directly or indirectly, out of the, out of the mouth of an elected official or, or an administrative agency, Declaring people like you or me or Dr. Mercola or uh, RFK Jr. information terrorists because we dissent on something like the vaccine. Uh, we're in huge danger, especially about the vaccine, because that's such a the problem with the vaccine issue. And I'm not an expert on vaccines, and I don't want people to suddenly think Scott Ritter just came in. I know what most people know, which is not very much, but I know this. 
I know that the United States has made it impossible for us to have a fact-based discussion about uh, the, right. the, the, the experiments because they've, they've taken the records and for 75 years, we can't talk about it. I know that anybody who raises the issue gets silenced, gets shouted down, uh, gets deplatformed. Deplatforming is a, is, is, is a, you know, is a tactic used by the U.S. government directly and more, more likely indirectly. The, we know that the FBI has in the past and maybe conti- continues to have interaction with very social, various social media outlets uh, where they are instructed to shut down um, people who are, who are talking. Oh, Scott, four federal judges in Texas, one uh, at the district court level and three uh, at the court of appeals level, have examined the uh, discovery in a major lawsuit uh, brought there uh, by state attorneys general against uh, Facebook. And and the the evidence is crystal clear. I mean, there, there's a, an email from Nicola, Nick Clegg. You remember him? He was deputy prime minister to Great Britain. He's now a mucky muck at uh, Facebook or whatever Facebook calls itself these days, complaining bitterly to um, Mark uh, Zuckerberg. Get these guys off my back. Get the White House off my back. Get the FBI off my back. we got to take this stuff down. These guys are driving me crazy. There's no question that the government, the American government, is attempting to do indirectly what the First Amendment unambiguously prohibits it from doing directly, which is abridging speech because of its content. We're not talking about a political rally at three in the morning in a residential neighborhood where the government's going to regulate time, place, and manner. We're talking about the government suppressing speech because it hates it, fears it, or disagrees with it, which is the exact thing the First Amendment was written to prevent them from doing. <laughs> yep. I look, I'm glad you're saying this because, again, I'm, I'm just a simple Marine judge, and I, I, I took an oath to the Constitution. I've read the Constitution. I will defend it with my life. But I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. So whenever I have this discussion with people who claim to be constitutional, or just, Scott, you just don't understand the basics. You don't understand the fundamentals of law. You don't understand how it works. I understand free speech, and I understand when my rights to free speech are being suppressed. Yes. Um, I'm glad somebody like you is saying that it is, in fact, a constitutional issue. This is about the base. It's worse. It's not. And I can't say it's worse because there's nothing worse in the U.S. government suppressing the free speech of American citizens. But you know, there's a situation with Ukraine where the Ukrainian intelligence services, the SBU, contacted the FBI through the legal the, 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 the legal attache in Kiev to say, you need to shut down the following Twitter accounts. And then the FBI took that and reached out to Twitter and said, shut down these accounts. So you have a hostile foreign intelligence service that has Americans on a kill list uh, telling the FBI to shut down the free speech of Americans. And I, I guess some constitutional scholar is going to tell me, well, that's not a First Amendment right, Scott. No, you just don't understand the Let me tell you this. You have a far better understanding of the Constitution the, than whoever these folks are that have challenged you. Let's get a little closer uh, to Ukraine because I have some clips from uh, President Zelensky that will raise your blood pressure higher than it is now. <laughs> Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is Poland preparing to annex Western Ukraine under the guise of some uh, security purpose? I believe that the Poles and the Lithuanians are in... uh... In, 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 in active um, dialogue about that potential, whether or not they've agreed upon it, whether or not they've agreed upon a framework, whether or not they have agreed it's even viable, I can't answer that question, but I am 100% um, convinced and it's backed up with uh, very good evidence that Poland and Lithuania are in active dialogue about doing just that. So that's a dangerous situation. What is the nature of the relationship between the Polish Army and the 101st Airborne, the 40,000 American troops in the 101st Airborne physically present in Poland? Do they work together? Do they live together? Do they train together? Do they have a common command? Well, they they train together, um, and the Americans are are on bases that are co-located with the uh, Polish Army. They have a training relationship. Uh, When you say under the same command, there is a NATO command structure, uh, but right now the American troops are in there to train with their Polish counterparts to uh, to create a deterrent presence. That is, the the number of Americans in Ukraine and in Poland are not significant enough to have a meaningful military impact in Ukraine. What they are, however, is enough to cause pause if Russia was ever to consider going into Poland, which Russia isn't, by the way, but we're there to make the Polish people feel comfortable that we're going to prevent the Russians from doing something that Russia has no intention of ever doing. Let me go to the third rail. Is it more likely than not that if Poland and Lithuania decide to create some sort of a security zone, I'm, I'm, I'm using I'm using government speak, uh, in Western Ukraine, that American troops would be involved? I think it's more likely not to be because that's not what the United States is. And this is what I think will finally stop the Poles and the Lithuanians, because ultimately, if they make this this move into Western Ukraine, uh, it will be without a NATO umbrella. They're going to try and invoke Article 4 and create a common security interest or problem for NATO. And NATO will extend Article 4 protections, but the United States will say no. And then Poland and Lithuania know that if they go into Western Ukraine, they're on their own. So when the Russians start pounding them, there won't be any American cavalry coming to their rescue. Then why do we have, as you can understand it from the Biden side of the equation, 40,000 American boys in Poland, in uniform, on the ground in Poland? Well, if we're going to call Russia the existential threat that we claim it is, if we're going to claim that Russia poses a threat to Europe, then we have to go through the motions of putting in place forces that uh, are responding to that kind of threat. So that's what we're doing. We're we're beefing up our presence on the eastern flank, but it's purely a political move. It has nothing to do with genuine military capability. Again, we don't have enough forces in in Poland uh, to meaningfully impact 
the war that's going on in Ukraine. The scope and scale of the violence that's taking place there right now would chew up the American forces in less than a week. Our forces wouldn't survive uh, more than a week or two in that kind of war right now. We know it. They know it. This is purely politics. What has uh, become of the summer offensive, the spring offensive, Ukraine moving uh, eastward died? Has the summer offensive died? Have the Ukrainian troops even approached the first of the three defensive rungs that the Russian military has established in eastern Ukraine? The uh, the counteroffensive is flailing, failing, um, and the Ukrainians are tragically dying. Um, there's really nothing that can be done to change this outcome, although uh, the Ukrainians continue to try. They have not... Uh, come close to penetrating the uh, first line of defense or reaching the first line of defense. They're still flailing around in the, in the crumple zone and the uh, flexible defense zone in front of that, even where they had their best chance in Bakhmut, where the Russians, uh, because of the offensive operations that Russia had carried out there that, you know, through the uh, end of May, hadn't been able to build this, this kind of defensive barrier. And so that was the best chance for the Ukrainians to attack the Russians Without this defensive barrier, the Russians have stiffened that line. They've dug in now. They have the minefields. The Ukrainians are going nowhere. And what, what's happening, what you're seeing right now, is that there's a gradual transition on certain parts of the battlefield um, up, up north, in, uh, I think, Kupiansk. Uh, the Russians have gone on the offensive. You know, the Ukrainians have spent all summer advancing 100 meters, 300 meters into the crumple zone. Russia, in less than a week, have advanced 11 kilometers towards Kharkov. Uh, the Russians are driving. It's a very measured drive. They're not trying to do the big arrow stuff, but they're pushing. They're forcing Ukrainians to divert reinforcements they don't have to that zone, weakening their counteroffensive here. The Ukrainians are on the verge of collapse. They have run out of resources. They've run out of men. They're running out of equipment. They've run out of ammunition. And the Russians, meanwhile, have 100, 200,000 troops. They have yet to commit to the fight. That's where we are. I want to play for you a, a clip from President Zelensky. It's about um, four or five days old, in which he uses a phrase that I have never heard him use before other than in this clip. Now, there's a, it's a computer translation, so it's a little tough to hear, but I think you'll hear this phrase two or three times. I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on it. The phrase is sky field. Take a listen. In this week alone, Russian terrorists have already used 65 different missiles and 178 attack drones against us, included 87 Shahids. We managed to shut down a significant number of them. We will do our best to make the Ukrainian sky shield only stronger. Here in our skies, we can prove that terror is losing. Altogether, we can prove it, all partners. The responsible position of each partner in supplying air defense systems and missiles to them is very important. Complete protection against terror is needed here. Ukraine can win this battle and our sky shield will eventually guarantee security for the whole of Europe. We are equally eager to see F-16 jets in action in Ukrainian skies as soon as possible. Is this just a claptrap sky shield? I mean, we know from the Tashara documents, the documents the government says were released exclusively by him, the documents that the government has never challenged the accuracy or authenticity of, that as far back as March, the uh, Pentagon High Command predicted that by June, three months ago, Ukraine would have no air defenses. Now we have the president in early August saying we're going to strengthen our sky shield. What sky shield? Well, sky shield is, is, a, uh, is a notional air defense. Um, 
it, it exists in the mind of uh, Zelensky and his advisors. You see, Ukraine has received um, a significant amount of um, advanced air defense systems from the West, the Patriot missile system from the United States, the IRST from the Germans, NASAM, which is a joint uh, American-Norwegian um, you know, endeavor, and, and other things from Spain, from Italy, et cetera. They brought them all in. Um, Sky Shield is the idea that they've been brought in as part of an integrated air defense that is linking up not only these uh, different assets, but also the Russian S-300s, the Buks, and the other Soviet-era missiles. They built this sky shield, he talks about, that's protecting them, and he brags about things. He says, we shot down this, we shot down that. But the reality is that none of the systems work together. These sky shield, they have to be integrated with the central command and control the radars coordinate with one another. They have layered defenses. Uh, you pick the system most adequate to deal. That's not how it works. It's all point defense with these systems defending one point. There's no coordination. And the Russians come in and they take out each system. Then they blow the hell out of the target that they're they're trying to get. Uh, that's that's the reality. But the other the other thing the Russians are doing, for instance, with Patriot, if they're not killing the Patriot, then they're causing the Patriot to expend all of their very expensive ammunition. And um, that's why Zelensky's like, we hope you keep providing us with stuff because he's out of missiles and America needs to provide the missiles, but we don't have the missiles. That we're not making them in the numbers that are necessary. The Ukrainians are firing them at a far greater rate than we can produce them. And so we're eating into our own inventories and we're, we're weakening. The Russians have been running for the last several months, one of the, the most effective suppression of enemy air defense campaigns in the history of modern war. And uh, the Russians have taken apart this sky shield, which doesn't exist. But even if it did, it's done, been taken apart. And the Russians are dominating the battlefield. They're able to hit anything they want when they want. The Ukrainians can't stop it. Here's President Zelensky's latest. This is yesterday, Scott, speaking about the return of Crimea to Ukraine as if it's a matter of fact and going to happen next week. Take a listen. Today, I held a meeting on the content of our return policy, specifically regarding Crimea and its reintegration. It is obvious that after the liberation of Crimea from occupation, economic opportunities, personal security for people, and a sense of real freedom, which has not been there since 2014, will return there. But all of this should not be just abstract. Every detail of the deoccupation of Crimea should have a specific meaning. How exactly normal life returns, what exactly this means for Crimea and for all our people. This should be clear to everyone. Step by step, we are making the deoccupation of Crimea more and more achievable and well thought out. This is madness, is it not? Well, it's political. Um, to put this in context, uh, last week, or they just finished up, a, they wrapped up a meeting in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, where nations came together to discuss Zelensky's 10-point peace plan. And a key element of, 10, of the 10-point peace plan is that Russia must return all territories to, uh, to Ukraine, including Crimea. Um, but in that meeting, what everybody was saying is, that's insane, dude. It is never going to happen. Nobody bought into it. Indeed, pressure has been put on Ukraine to accept as reality, the fact that Crimea is Russia forever, and so are four territories they took, uh, Kherson, Zaporizhia, Donetsk, Lugansk, that Ukraine is going to have to accept this reality. Um, and so what Zelensky's doing is firing back by doubling down on stupid. He is convincing his people and putting a, a 
quarter on the table saying, no, 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 no. I'm here. So he gave this ridiculous speech. There's nothing realistic about it. It's just simply, let me tell you one reason why it's never going to happen. Let's just say hypothetically that the West gave Ukraine the ability to carry this out. Understand that anything that results in Russia losing territory, Russia considers that it belongs to Russia, is by definition a threat to the existential survival of Russia, and Russian nuclear doctrine will kick in, which means that Russia will destroy the entire world. This is why I keep telling people, anybody who sits there and says, I want Ukraine to win, what you're saying is, I want to die, because that's what would happen if Ukraine ever did win and seize these territories, Russian nuclear weapons would destroy all of Europe, all of the United States, because as Vladimir Putin has said, a world without Russia is not a world worth living in. Now, Russia's not threatening the world with destruction of, you know, unless the world's threatening Russia with destruction. I mean, we would do the same thing. I have to tell you, if a, a situation that happened where communist China took over Mexico and was making a move to take California, Texas, Arizona, we'd say, that ain't going to happen. That's an existential threat to us. We're going to blow up China. It's just right. common sense. Right. Scott, I can't thank you enough for uh, your energy and your intellect, but uh, very, very much appreciated uh, by our fans, your fans. Uh, who keep who keep growing all the time. Thank you so much, my dear friend. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. Boy, if you like what you just saw, like and subscribe. So we're up to 186,000 or so subscriptions. We have two goals, 200,000 by Labor Day, a quarter of a million by Christmas, 200,000 by Labor Day, 250,000 by Christmas. More as we get it, Phil Giraldi at 4.30 this afternoon, Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.